Do we like movies? I'm your host Angel, and I am Javi. I speak for the trees. Save the Amazon, or I'll break your fucking knees. <laughs> and uh, this week we're taking another break from Star Wars to cover "Do the Right Thing," which I think we made the joke <laughs> earlier today that it's funny that we're picking like these coming of age stories and these kinds of, you know, really interesting like introspective project projects between like. Star Wars films. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's kind of something that's getting lost in translation here. Like, there's a little bit of a disconnect, but who cares? Like, we're talking about some pretty... We're talking about interesting movies, and I'm really excited to talk about this, because just gonna jump ahead, this is actually my first time ever watching Do the Right Thing, and this is the first time I've maybe seen a Spike Lee movie knowing it was a Spike Lee movie. Okay. And, uh... For me, I saw this movie for the first time in high school, actually. Uh, I had an English teacher who basically introduced me to several lines of dialogue from the movie uh, that, are, that are said by one of the characters. And prepared, just basically printed the lines onto a piece of paper, made me read them, made the whole class read them. <laughs> And then that's when we watched the movie and we found out the context for some of these lines. Was he your Edward James Olmos? <laughs> Stand and deliver? Well, he's someone that I still talk to to this day. But <laughs> <laughs> fucking nerd. <laughs> I'd like to think you were like Lou Diamond Phillips in that movie and you were just like, learning's for nerds. I killed the mailman. That was an, it was an AP English class, so it wasn't exactly like I was like, He's decomposing in my locker. <laughs> we should do Stand and Deliver now. You know, talking about socially conscious movies. Yeah. Well, definitely. But, um, so, yeah, my first experience with this movie was watching it in, in, in a class. And uh, I would have to say that I've only seen it once or twice since high school. So this may be my third or fourth time ever watching this in my life. That's crazy. At least you watched it when it mattered, you know, when your hair was slicked back and you looked like you carried a fucking switchblade on I had you. short hair in high school. And then you had like a pound of hair gel in your hair to slick it all the I way I didn't back. have that in high school. And then you had your leather jacket because you were pretty much a I'm not Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> and then like your teacher was probably like, how do I get through to this child? And then you're like, shut up, teach. I'm selling drugs. Honors English student. Fucking wow. <laughs> you were the fucking hoodest kid in <laughs> honors English. <laughs> um... What's it called? Yeah, this is definitely uh, one of the... Well, it's really one of the few Spike Lee movies that I've ever seen. I can't say that I've seen a ton of them. I mean, like, they're, they're ones that I've seen on TV. Like, Mo' Better Blues and He Got Game. But, like, in terms of the actual movies of his, which I have watched and have a high level of reverence for... It's Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X, starring Denzel Washington. Now, there's a lot of movies, like, I was just reading some Spike Lee joints that I had no idea but that he did, or that he was involved in, mm -hmm. but 
for those of you that don't know, he did Black Klansman, the new movie. Based I think on- everyone knows that because that was just a great comeback movie. Well, for those of you that don't know it, shut up. <laughs> I think that's just you. It's shut up. I knew that was him, but I just want to talk about how cool. Well, all right. Here's the thing. I really wanted to watch Black Klansman because I was like, the story sounded interesting. The Ron Stallworth story. But I also had a chance to go to the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and they were actually going to do a live screening followed by a Q&A session with the real life Ron Stallworth. Oh, okay. And I really wanted to go, and even though, like, Spike Lee wasn't going to be there, I thought it was going to be a cool experience, and the one person I had that wanted to go, like, with me was busy that day, and I had, like, some shit come up last minute, so I'm, like, to this day, that's one of the biggest regrets, because I always wanted to see that movie in that environment, so Damn. I can actually focus too bad on you it. didn't have somebody that you could call, and you could have asked to go with you to something like that. You have Too a bad kid. you don't know any friends who like watching movies like that. You have Too a bad daughter. you don't do a podcast with anybody that you could ask to do that with. Yeah, it sucks. Like <laughs> you have a kid. How terrible. Oh my god. <laughs> Blame your daughter. <laughs> She's already ruined your life. Um He also did old boy. <laughs> <laughs> Look. We gotta get all these laughs in now because there's not much to laugh about once you get into the movie. That's true. That's true. This movie definitely goes through like, it. it okay, there, there's a few things here. This movie is from the year 1989, right? Mm-hmm. This is the 30th anniversary of Do the Right Thing, which is why I really wanted to review this movie. Um, I think one of the things about this that is super awesome is that without really any intention of it I didn't realize how relevant some of the themes in this movie are to today I mean there's the obvious ones right but then there's other ones that I really like caught me off guard mm-hmm. and I'll start with I'll start with that one yeah one of the first things that like I was just like oh shit that's right they do say that in this movie was when you have the when you have Sweet Dick Willie and <laughs> Sweet Nick Willie, <laughs> and and then I God I know the I know the actor has a name ML. No, no, no. the character. Well, ML the ML is a character, but then the other guy who sits with them, I know the guy has a name, but I, I all I've ever seen, what I mostly know him from is Silence of the Lambs, where he mm-hmm. plays Barney the uh, the orderly who works there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I definitely, you know, I definitely recognize him, but the three characters are sitting there talking, and one of them talks about how this is one of the hottest days on record, mm-hmm. and how, you know, he starts talking about the fact that the polar ice caps are melting, yeah. you know, to the point where everyone kind of laughs it off, you know, and it's saying, like, ha, 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 yes, funny joke, that is totally not relevant right now in 2019, 30 years later. Well, I, I also thought that one of the good reasons, like, for us to go back and review this movie again is, unfortunately, on this earth, this has been the hottest summer on record, right? Yep. Like, like the earth is literally getting hotter now. Nah, dude. <laughs> no, fucking global warming was made up by the fucking Chinese. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that was one of them. Um, and then the other one was, in 1989, you know, we were already talking about gentrification. Now, I That one be, caught me off guard. It, I was not ready for it that. It caught me off guard because... And I love that it's the white guy 
biking around wearing a Boston Celtics Larry Bird jersey. <laughs> well, like around Brooklyn. Well, the funny thing is with me, all right, we live in the Bay Area. A lot of the cities in the Bay Area that we grew up in, spent a lot of time in, have a lot of friends that have grown up in, are cities that are now being gentrified, right? Yep. And I, gentrification was a word that I didn't really start hearing in circulation in everyday normal conversation mm-hmm. until I was in college, which, um, you know, I went to City College of San Francisco. Yep. So at that point, the gentrification of San Francisco was really starting to kick off. And if you look at the city now, 10 years later, it's like a city that, in the neighborhoods that my parents, like, we're living in growing up like you wouldn't even recognize anymore right? see that's why i hold it down from my block and I pop, <laughs> I pop a few shots off every once in a while to remind people where they are i go drink outside start well, drinking from a paper bag. how about this the section of new york that these guys are in are areas that are probably heavily gentrified now this is brooklyn right you know bedside do or die that is not very do or die now from what i've heard yeah exactly like the one of the things that i hear Brooklyn is actually really nice. Well, no, no, no. Brooklyn, what I hear the most, I've never been to Brooklyn, and I've never been to New York. I'd like to one day. Mm -hmm. But all I ever hear living in the Bay Area is people compare the city of Oakland to Brooklyn a lot. Oh, sweet. (laughs) So it's like one of those places where it's not as glamorous as, or it's not as well esteemed as like some of the other boroughs in Manhattan. Yeah. But it's... Is one that has some of the richest culture, mm-hmm. and it's also been heavily gentrified, and unfortunately, a lot of places that used to be are no longer. You know, you were with me when we went to that wrestling show, and someone broke into my car and stole my shit, right? And that was like by Jack London Square, which in is Oakland. pretty in Oakland, yeah. which is pretty, which is pretty gentrified. And there was a little part of me that was like. Oh, thank God this can still happen in Oakland. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Like, part of me just felt like, okay, cool. Like, there's still people people that I grew up being afraid of, like, still here holding it down for us. Uh, other thing that is relevant to today, we have a Samuel L. Jackson character. Like, that, that he play. Like, Sam, Sam Jackson is in this movie playing characters. And in 2019, we're still watching Sam Jackson in movies. Yep. I love it. We've seen him as a Jedi. We've <laughs> seen him as the leader of the super CIA. We've seen him as a badass motherfucker. Well, actually, no. We haven't reviewed Pulp Fiction. We only talked about it. Right. This is, And that's the thing. It's like, this is right before Pulp Fiction. I mean, this is several years before Pulp Fiction. Uh, we have Martin Lawrence was also in this movie. Yeah, he was. Who is so young uh, before he what's his name before he started making Bad Boys uh, sequels and started losing his mind <laughs> in the I know. street before he went crazy. Um, we had Bill Nunn is in this movie. Yes, who you know plays the very important character of Radio Rahim. Yep. And also is Robbie Robertson in from the Daily Bugle That's in right. Spider-Man. I'm glad so, I'm glad you got that too cuz I was pretty excited when I saw him. <laughs> Giancarlo Esposito's in it. For those of you that don't know, he's Gus in uh what's it called? The uh, Breaking Bad, which is going to have a new movie soon. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of Rosie Perez is in this movie. There is a lot of people that are in this movie that either got their start or it has some really established actors. Like you pointed out Danny Aiello's in this movie. Right. Which I know Danny Aiello 
most important, most importantly, and most like lovingly, I remember his character from uh, Jacob's Ladder. Mm-hmm. But I also remember him from a bit part in Godfather Two, <laughs> in John Turturro. Sorry, but yeah, yeah John Turturro's yeah. in it as well. It's you know. a it's. I really wonder what the budget of this movie was because it feels like a really big budget movie. Surprising, like I was reading the the not the spoiler stuff, um, trivia, yeah, trivia stuff, right on IMDb page on the IMDb page. Um, they said that at one point De Niro was in talks to play the character of Cell. Yeah. And at this point, you know, this is post-Godfather De Niro, like... Well, the reason why I believe it is because there's certain parts of this movie, specifically where the kids are playing by the water in the fire hydrant, where I think it would be in... It was around this time, or at least a couple years later, where De Niro would direct a Bronx Tale, right? Yeah, And there were certain parts of that movie... Which we watched together. Right. And, you know, for those who don't know, De Niro is, you know, it, I don't know if he's still with his wife, but at least at one point, you know, he, he has a wife who is black. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm sure that some of the issues that are at least confronted in this film are not totally foreign to him. Yeah. Um, also, his, char- his, uh, his main character in A Bronx Tale is in love with a woman who is black as well. Mm-hmm. So... So, so I believe that he was in talks for this. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is, I mean, not to get off on a tangent here, mm-hmm. but it looks like De Niro's going to make a bit of a small comeback here, playing characters that are not De Niro, <laughs> because uh, we've both seen the trailer for the Jimmy Hoffa movie that's going to come out on Netflix. Oh, fuck yeah, dude! And I'm sorry, this... I'm a proud member of the Teamsters <laughs> Union, and Jimmy Hoffa's like our version of Jimmy, no, I mean, Jimmy Christ. <laughs> And he's also going to be in the Joker movie that's coming out in October. What? Uh, Who the fuck is he going to play? You haven't seen the trailer for no. it? No! Oh, okay. After we record this, watch the trailer for no, Joker. No, let's watch it on <laughs> while we record. <laughs> nah, but yeah, I'm going to check that out. That's fucking dope. Yeah. So, but, you know, back to this. It also stars Spike Lee, the director of this movie. It sure does. <laughs> and I'll say that, you know... I get why Spike Lee doesn't star in more movies. <laughs> My favorite part, just for spoilers, I mean, uh, we're going to talk about the movie, but like the end scene after Sal's Pizzeria burns down, spoilers. And then Dining Aiello is fucking like chewing scenery, just being like, what the fuck do you want, right? And then Spike Lee just goes, I just want to get my money. <laughs> and I was just like, man, he's putting so much effort into these lines here. Well, it's funny because my two favorite movies that Spike Lee's ever directed, Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X, he stars in both of them. Because in Malcolm uh... X, he plays, he plays Malcolm X's friend Shorty from when... Before he goes to jail and mm-hmm. back from his days where he was a bit of a hustler, right? Damn, dude, I didn't. So that's where M Night Shyamalan got the idea from, huh? <laughs> Started starring in his own movies. Um, I'll say this: I think it is very appropriate that now Spike Lee is thought of as someone who was one of the great, you know, directors in film. He has a very interesting style, and he has a very interesting way of telling a story that you can totally tell. Influence other filmmakers, yeah. you know. Like I, when I was watching do the right thing for the podcast, I totally understood. Like I got vibes from Friday and Barbershop because those movies. I don't know if there's like a name for that type of 
that type of genre of movie, like a weird slice of life, but all contained in one neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was one of those movies. Like, it was, a, it's, like, Do the Right Thing is essentially a day in the life of Mookie, right? Yeah. Um, Mookie is a 25-year-old pizza delivery boy, has a kid with his girlfriend, Tina, played by Rosie Perez. And, like, throughout the film, the two hours of the movie, all it is is just seeing the various people that live in Bed-Stuy, all, like, the recognizable characters, the stuff he goes through. It's just literally a day in the life. And I totally got First Friday vibes. You know, watching um, the first, you know, before we got to Next Friday where Devo was a super villain breaking out of jail. I got something, I got something even more modern and a lot more current in terms of, how was it I, Baby Boy? No, no, no. God, no. <laughs> if we ever review Baby Boy, like, I will just talk about cheese. Like, but no, no, no. I'm talking in terms of just, like, the overall style, the kind of story. Um, and more recently, if you watched uh, the directorial debut of Ryan Coogler, which was Fruitvale Station, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Fruitvale Station is one of those movies that has that kind of style. Like, one of the things that I appreciate th- about this movie is that you're watching the day in the life of these characters, and it feels specifically like the experience of people who are growing up in New York. Oh, totally, yeah. Whereas if you watch Fruitvale Station, I mean, obviously you know the fate of the main character of the film, but the earlier part in the film that's leading up to that... A lot of that is you're dealing with kind of the same situation, except it's in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it's know? something that if you grew up in the Bay Area, you totally understand. Uh, the other thing, the other theme in this movie that is important to call out is that's that's relevant to today's world is police brutality. Um, I grew up in the '90s. You know, I was I was I was growing up at that time. I knew about Rodney King. As an old, once I was older, I heard about Rodney King, right? Like, that was mm-hmm. one of those things that everyone always talked about. And by that point, like, you know, a lot of years had gone by after the it was more situation. The punchline of a joke. It became, yeah, it started becoming, unfortunately, became a joke. Um, but and, then that's also because you and I didn't grow up enough to see the LA riots and to see right. how bad it got. You Absolutely. Know? Like, like, we just knew based on pop culture references and by that point, pop culture, I mean... Like, we did, okay, first of all, we didn't live in Los Angeles, so we didn't, obviously we weren't going to see the riots, and we were too young for the riots, right? Like, the riots were in 92. <sighs> Fuck, I man. was three years old at that time. I so wish I was old enough for those riots. <laughs> I would have fucked some shit up. Well, maybe. you say that, but, you know, it really is one of those moments in history that, like, that, that you know, like, they had crazy things. But then there's stuff, like, now that we had. Like, it's important not to forget, like, four or five, five or six years ago, I was in school, like, trying to finish my uh, certification so that I could start working in IT, right? Yeah. My professor in that in that course, there he was very conscious of the world around him. Yep. And he and I would, he in the class, and some of us would have conversations about what was going on in the world. And at that time, that's where we had the riots that were happening in Ferguson, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, sure, I saw the Trayvon Martin thing. But I'll say the one that really kind of showed me the reality of police brutality. Well, a couple. I had a friend of mine from high school who's been killed by a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. Someone that I went to school with. Um, I... Two years later came the story of Oscar Grant, which mm-hmm. is what Fruitvale Station is based on, right? Mm-hmm. And it was pretty shocking to watch our local channel news 
and to see a cell phone video on like razor phones. These were flip phones, yeah. right? Like this is early, early. And I, we were literally watching somebody get shot to death on camera, right? It's one thing when you're watching police officers that were beating Rodney King and stuff like that. But it's the idea that now we were watching people die on camera that it's like, it, I don't know, it just like kicked off a grittier reality in me as to the world around me, right? I had, growing up, I had a lot of my friends who were black, but it's still, like, it, um, until you live a day in the life of someone else who has to deal with some of these injustices on a day-to-day basis, you're not going to be able to comprehend it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the best example of this was a conversation that I had with my parents once where, you know, I don't remember how it came up this way, but I the thing that I had told my parents was we really can't think of the black experience in this country as if it's the same as the immigrant experience. Because it is completely different. Right. And people, unfortunately, people in our community don't understand that. That's exactly it. Like, people, I told my parents, like, the, the difference is that you are able to trace your lineage of where you come from easily. Yep. Like, my dad has a family tree. My dad knows exactly where in El Salvador his family comes from, right? Mm-hmm. And generations back. Think of the fact that... A lot of people who are black in this country don't know where they come from. Mm-hmm. They have last names that were not theirs, that were yeah. given to, you know... To, forced upon them. That was forced upon them generations ago. They given are... Given a religion that was forced upon them again. <laughs> they are, you know, privy to less opportunities in terms of... And I think this film calls it out. Yep. You know, there's a lot of... It's harder for, for, for people who are black to own businesses and communities because mm-hmm. they don't get lines of credit like other uh, ethnicities do. Yeah. Right? Not to, not to mention also the limited resources allowed people in those communities, to black people specifically, talking about limited... Uh, just limited opportunities as far as employment and... Then add all that, like, criminalizing a lot of cultural stuff and turning, and then over-policing, you know? And it's important to mention specifically, like, it's, it, like, you kind of do have to call out the black experience, period. Because, specifically you and I, like, we are people who grew up in, quote-unquote, black neighborhoods, right? Like, yep. we grew up in lower-income, impro- impoverished communities of people of color, but... We will never truly understand what right. it was like. We still benefit from certain privilege that that the person who is in this country, who's probably going back generations, if we're talking about, you know, black people in this country, like they mm-hmm. go back generations. I am a first generation American. My parents weren't born when my parents were born, we weren't here. Yeah. Right? Like and it's and it, and there's there's just an unfairness to it. And then the other thing about it is that there's so much discrimination in yeah. that a lot of the characters in this movie, they like to profit off of, they like to profit off of people in these communities, but they have no interest in really I mean, being part of that uh, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, there will always be that separation of let us take your money, but... Don't get too comfortable now. Yeah. And, you know, like, the other thing I wanted to bring up is also the fact of generational trauma, you know? And you do kind of see that in this film with the character, the mayor. 
you know, the mayor has that, like, talk where the young, the, the, the kids, right, they're accusing him of being drunk and useless and not doing anything for people in the neighborhood. And then he, and he tells him straight up, like, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what, what, you know, I went through and stuff. And, you know, like, you know what it's like to not be able to provide your fam for your family, losing your job. And then, you know, like, you got your kids crying and your wife mad at you and you just don't know what to do, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, understanding that you and I probably were friends with people who were in that same exact situation, you know, that then carried not only the trauma they had of their experience, but the trauma of their parents and their parents' parents and their parents' parents' parents, you know, like... And, of course, we all carry generational trauma to a certain extent. And exactly. you and I carry our own based on our, our previous experience. Mm -hmm. But it's never going to, no matter what, it's not going to compare to that of... I'll put it to you this way. My parents do have generational trauma, but they left the country where a lot of that they stuff could, was happening. Exactly. They came here. They're obviously... They... I, my children, we're all still gonna be, we're all still gonna fall victim to, uh, to discrimination, racial mm -hmm. discrimination, because that's just how that works here. Even though my daughter is someone who will have been a second generation American, people are still gonna look at her like she's a foreigner. Like that mm -hmm. is just how it's gonna work, right? And that's the other part of this. But at the same time, it's yeah, it is, it is a much different experience, and I think. Much like when we did 500 Days of Summer a few weeks ago, it's one of those things where, like, I felt a certain way when I watched it as a younger person, mm -hmm. and I feel very different about it watching it as an adult now. Yeah, definitely. You know? But I think part of that is because of the decade that we just lived through, right? Mm -hmm. We just lived through Oscar Grant. We lived through the Ferguson riots and the death of Michael Brown. We, the scene where, and we should probably get into this more as we start getting to the movie, but yeah, it's like, I, I this movie is very relevant right now. Oh, totally. And I was very happy that we were able to go through and watch a movie that has so much resonance, but it also feels like a movie of its time mm -hmm. and very stylized. This movie may have been filmed in 1989 or maybe from 89, but it feels 90s. Mm -hmm. Like, this is early 90s, period. Yep. You know, from... You have Rosie Perez, who who dances during the opening credits. She was So, before she was an actress, and this movie was her great introduction into film, she's she was famous for being a Soul Train dancer. Mm -hmm. And um, not just that, but shortly after this, a few years later, uh, you had the show in Living Color. Mm-hmm. Which had the Fly Girls, which were the girls that would dance between some of the sketches. One of them being Jennifer Lopez, who what? launched her own film career after that. I didn't know so, she was in Living Color. So anytime she was I in in Living Color, well, she never had a part in it, right? She was just one of the dancers. I didn't know. I mean, my point is, I just didn't yep. know that. Yep. So anytime I think of Rosie Perez, for some reason, I always conflate like Rosie Perez and Jennifer Lopez together because they both. Like, came from dancing on these very yeah. famous, like, shows. <laughs> um, but, so the film starts uh, with the opening credits to Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Fight the Power! Which, 
I wish, uh, man, I wish we had the rights to that song because that song fucking slaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm which a- I'm gonna add it to the playlist that we the running do we like movies playlist that is on Apple Music and soon will be on Spotify as well. Sorry guys, I'm working on it on Spotify. Uh, if you want to find it, just follow me, Javier Lopez, on Spotify. Um, but yeah, I'm working on it. I got like half of Angel put a lot of songs already. With this is like our 40th episode or whatever. We watch movies with a lot of music in it. But the point is like, what I wanted to say about Fight the Power is I love that lyrics where it's like, uh, Elvis never meant shit to me. Yeah, I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> well, and. and- I love the style of it. It feels very much like a '90s music video. It, that's what I was. That's why I asked you. I'm like, did Spike Lee direct music videos at one point? Because that totally felt like a music video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I will say that once the actual movie starts itself, this movie feels like it could have been a play. You want to know what I feel this movie is, uh, reminds me of? It reminded me of a one of the super serious episodes of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a way to knock it. It's just you have the reason I compare it to that is because you have these super outlandish characters like bugging out who totally reminded me of jazz. <laughs> and but you have them in like real world, really fucking gritty situations. I have actually a play in mind. Well, a play that was also a movie, but um that this movie that reminds me of a lot, and that's Zoot Suit. Oh, yeah, yeah, If you ever watch Zoot Suit, you have a character who's kind of the straight man, right? Mookie. Right. And to me, Bugging Out really reminds me of El Pachuco from Zoot Suit, which is... <laughs> Wait, like, really? His name was El Pachuco? Yeah. It was, he's not a character that anybody else in that film can see. He's someone who oh. he's basically like the id of our main character. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Right, okay. and that's what that's what bugging out feels like more to me. But in of course in this movie he's a real character and everyone like mm-hmm. and, you know and everyone but, yeah, can I interact can, with him. That. But that's what I mean. It's like it feels very theatric to me, theatrical. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's again that's not an insult to it. But part of the other thing too with uh, Zoot Suit is that a lot of the characters will break into. Soliloquy, yeah, where they just like speak, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, where they speak directly to the audience, uh-huh. and this has like those like montages where everyone is like where they're all using all those like racial epithets against each other. Yeah, like that is that that felt like something straight out of Zutsu. I think that's why I say like it reminds me of a play. Mm-hmm. It specifically reminds me of one play that I've seen before. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this takes place in the hottest day of the year in in Bedside, Brooklyn. I guess Beds, uh, Bedford. Stuyvesant. That's yes. that, no, that's what it's yeah. actually, that's what Bedsty stands for. I always thought it was just Bedsty. I never thought about that. Um, um, but yeah, it's the hottest day of the year. Uh, everyone is like hot. Like everyone comments on the weather. It they it's really like drive a, home how hot it is in the first like five right. minutes. It's also like a metaphor for just like tensions, right? Like you're in a city where tensions are rising. Like. Yeah, I mean, what else could it be symbolizing? So Mookie is a character that, like, lives kind of a protracted or, you know, prolonged adolescence to where he hasn't fully grown up yet, despite the fact that he is a parent with a child, right? I relate to Mookie too hard. (laughs) Because I also am a man-child. And uh, he works for Sal, who owns Sal's famous pizzeria, right? What? I never would have guessed. <laughs> Which and he also runs with his son's Vito and Pino. Yeah. 
<laughs> this, okay, this is the type of shit you put in a play. Like, exactly. those are stupid play names. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like this movie. I think the reason why I like it so much is, for those of you who don't know, I'm someone who likes. I like theater. Specifically, I like musical theater. But I nerd alert. <laughs> <laughs> but I like theater in general, right? Um, and so this is just one of those things that's right up my alley, which is probably why I enjoyed it more than you did. I'll be right up your alley. Because the, because the impression Sorry, that you've been giving me before we went on mic is that there's, a, is that there's things in this movie that you have problems with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, a, well, I mean, I also don't want to spoil the final judgment of the movie, so, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have my times to, to gripe against it. But, um, so, okay, I'll gripe against it right now <laughs> about the soliloquies. And, like, yeah, there was a lot, like, the only, my only thing about the soliloquies, I thought they were cool. There were, but it just, like, it really fucks with the pacing of the film. I can see how that would be perfect in a stage play, and I agree with you there. I felt it was so weird to do it on film because it's such a weird break in the action because if i remember correctly the one you're talking about the racial the racial epitaphs where mookie's talking shit about italians and then uh what's his name uh vito Vito's Vito's talking shit about blacks yeah and then you got uh i forgot what the name of the korean shop owner but he's well like, first you have the police officer that's talking he's well, talking shit about Puerto, Puerto Ricans. the puerto ricans are talking shit about jews <laughs> six well that's what he said i know i know <laughs> and then like and then no no i'm sorry the 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 Puerto Rican guy Latin oh my god he has a weird ass name in the in the movie well he does the police officer says a lot of things about the Puerto Ricans no Puerto no Puerto no, Rican like the, talks about the Korean the Korean talks about the Jews no wait like the the guy the Puerto Rican Latino Stevie that was his <laughs> name Latino Stevie's talking about the Koreans like. You know, like, I've, it's such a break because it, it was right after you have that awesome scene where Mookie and Vito are actually talking about that. They're actually talking about, like, racial inequality. And he's and Mookie calls out Vito for being a racist, but still, like, he's one of those guys that appreciates black... He likes the idea of black culture. Culture vultures. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But he doesn't like black people. Yeah, and that, and you know, like I thought that was such a good scene and a very relevant scene. Well, yeah, and absolutely then all relevant. Of a, and then you have this like break in the action. And I was like, I mean, the, I think I think what I really liked about it is um, at the end. Then you have uh, Samuel Jackson, DJ Love. Is that what his name? You have him talk about how, hey, shut the fuck up, stop caring about what's different, and focus on what brings us together. And I'm like, I get it. Like, that's kind of a... That's where this If you're movie, making bullet points of your one essay... Of, that's one of those things where this movie feels dated. Yeah. One of the few points where this movie feels dated. Because right now, obviously, anyone who's listening to this in 2019, or who's living through this in 2019, knows that right now, we're at a point where I think we're taking off a lot of the rose-colored unity glasses sometimes because unfortunately even though you would like to ease Rachel's racial tension and you'd like to be the person who makes the world a better place and stuff like that I think there's a there's a bit of an issue because it there's always an expectation for people of color to take it all in the chin mm -hmm. and then be the ones who preach equality you gotta take the high road and it's like some days you don't want to and it's okay if you don't want to. And you shouldn't. 
and you shouldn't, right? Uh, yeah. Like, I think that one of the things where this movie, like, really, you know, is a little bit dated, again, is in those kinds of ideas. I was someone who, when I watched this movie in high school, and I saw Bugging Out complaining about the the fact that there were no Italian people on the wall. I mean, that there were no, no black people on the wall and it was all Italians. And when I was younger, I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. Like, you know, like, like why would... Why, why would, would there be black would? people on the Hall of Fame? Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, now being someone who, like, you know, you live in neighborhoods where people who are not your racial makeup or, you know, culturally a part of the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, or have been for a long time, they come, they open up shops in your neighborhood, they take your the style of your food and they kind of fancy it up, sell it at a much higher price, and then try to act like they invented something, right? And... I think one of the important things that gets brought up to Sal is, you know, like, like I, I, that bugging out brings up is, I don't ever see Italian people in this restaurant. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, and that and that part of it is one of those things. It's now that we are live in a world where a lot more, you know, shops, restaurants, coffee houses, and all that stuff open up in neighborhoods that were not traditionally white. <coughs> Mission Street in San Francisco. <laughs> um, it's just, it, it, it's, you, now as an adult, I think that people who open up businesses in neighborhoods for people of color need to ingratiate themselves to those communities. I think that is important. <coughs> Downtown Oakland. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> Pretty soon, North Richmond, cough, cough. Oh, no, please don't. <laughs> but no, it's 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 it is an important theme of this movie that does like just hit home, right? Yep. And it, it, like, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember, at, like, I, I had that experience too watching this movie where I'm like, when I was a kid, I totally would have want wanted bugging out to shut up, and it's like now as an adult, it's like. I see where he's coming from. And even though I don't understand it, because primarily, like, you know, I'm essentially, I still live where I grew up. And even though my neighborhood's changed still, like, it's predominantly, there's a good amount of people that live in my hometown that look like me. Yeah. And I feel comfortable, right? And yeah, there's still people of color in my hometown. But I also don't, like, I again, and it ties back to that experience, is that, you know, thankfully, my life hasn't been impacted in my hometown by gentrification, but it's going to happen eventually. Yep. And it's like, so I see where he's coming from, and I understand where he's coming from. Even like, even though I don't have that same shared experience, I empathize with him enough to be like, okay, like I understand why this is a problem to someone that grew up in such a culturally rich area, and in an area where everyone knows each other. And I think, like... Right off the bat, you see that. Like, I think uh, Spike Lee does a good job of establishing that. He establishes the neighborhood very well, very quickly. Absolutely. And it's like, they he doesn't take too long. He gives everyone their just enough time for you to get familiar with all the characters. It feels know? like an ensemble in that yeah, way. Yeah, it does. I and mean, he does a really good job of giving everyone their due. Like, and there was no character at any point that I felt shouldn't be in the movie. Right. Um, I think some of the other characters in this film that are worth pointing out is the mayor. The mayor. The mayor, he, the, the mayor really, like, I really, like, uh, grew to love him. Like, he really grew on me in the, throughout the movie. 
so the the piece of paper that I had mentioned that my teacher gave me that had like select lines of dialogue from this movie was it his backstory? It was well, it was his line that where he talks to mother sister, who's also like the, I think the woman who both is like the gossip of the yeah. neighborhood, just kind of like, you know, is prickly like in her personality and watches everyone in the neighborhood and kind of judges them with her judging eye. Uh, but everyone has a profound respect for her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's when he's talking to her and she's basically telling the mayor about how much she dislikes him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Which was... makes you think that's the wife he was talking about that has every right to hate him. But, yeah, maybe. You know, you know, like, they give you enough to wonder, but not enough to, like, be like, that's exactly what's going on. Right. Because she could very well just be a god, like, like you said, the neighborhood gossip that hates him for being a drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, I think, but the line from him was, uh, was, one day you're gonna love me, and, you know, we may both be buried in the ground by then, but one mm-hmm. day you're, you know, one day you're gonna love me, right? Or you're not gonna hate me, or something like that. Yeah. I forget exactly what the line is. But, you know, he's he's a very great character. Sam Jackson's DJ is a great character. Um, Radio Rahim is a great character. Radio Rahim is awesome for a couple reasons. One, he's big. <laughs> he's a big guy with a boombox. My dad... He is literally every badass dude you can think of. Well, my dad... My dad... My, my, my parents grew up in the Mission District in San Francisco in the late 80s, right? Yeah. So one of the things... And my dad, like, was a DJ, uh, and what what he you know, used to spin at nightclubs was freestyle music. Oh, no fucking way. Are you serious? Well, yeah. Like, You're telling me my uncle was a DJ and I had no idea? Yeah, my dad... Well, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, you know, like, we've... Even growing up, it's like we still had some of my dad's old DJ equipment in the house. What? The stereo. Our stereo, that, like, stereo cabinet that everyone used to have. Yeah. Where my dad had his record uh, players. He also had, like, stuff to adjust levels and stuff like that. And Oh, man, your dad was a rad dad. <laughs> <laughs> he was radical. But, you know, they always talk about, like, how the, you know, how they grew up. It's kind of very similar to this. They lived yeah. in the big city. They had uh, a lot of people in the neighborhood who would have those, like, dance competitions. And those giant boom boxes were yeah. such a big thing. My dad had one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, my dad had a tape player boom box that was big. That, uh, obviously, he never took it out and put it over his shoulder. But he said it was a super common thing in the late 80s, right? Yeah. So, he, he, like, Radio Rahim is a character that I think because of the experience that my dad's had and what he's, like, told me growing up, it's why I feel like I relate to that in a way. Not to mention he has those sick-ass love-hate, like, <laughs> knuckle dusters. That's the stuff I'm not crazy about. Oh, I fucking love that shit. That made him look like a comic character. I thought that was so cool. Um, there's Black Panther references in this. There is. There is. <laughs> uh, what were they talking about? If pizza's good enough for Black Panther, it's good enough for me. Yeah. So, again, another parallel to the modern world that we're living in now, right? Like, yeah. Black Panther was in then, and it is in now. It's, you know, it, it is... It is I, I can't even tell you all the different facets of this that works, right? Um, Mookie's girlfriend and baby's mom is a Puerto Rican woman, Rosie mm-hmm. Perez, right? Um, her mother does not like him because she thinks that he's good for nothing, yep. which a lot of Latin parents are, you know? Unfortunately, we come from families that are very racist, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. And... Um, 
even when they want to ingratiate themselves to members of the family who could be black, it's hard to avoid awkward situations with people in our family. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, there's some times where I'm just like, I'll, I'll see some of our family members and I'm like, did y'all really just say that? <laughs> like, yeah. I say some cringy stuff sometimes, sometimes on purpose even, <laughs> but that was pretty, that one hurt. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it, it, again, it feels like a very full neighborhood. Not every character gets a ton of dialogue. I don't think Rosie Perez's character gets a, gets a ton to do in this movie. She's there, and she kind of represents someone who, you know, who is telling Mookie that he needs to grow up. But I think his sister does that even more. You know, like, he lives with his sister. Um, she is someone who seems like she's a lot more level-headed. She seems yeah. like, she, she seems like she's the perfect middle person to Mookie's super laid-back personality mm -hmm. and bugging out like intense wokeness is yeah. what you would call it now like I feel like she I mean is... some people might call him a hotep that's not here nor there <laughs> well yeah I mean that's the other thing right it's like now it's like there's also different levels to how you know the there's mm -hmm. different levels of progression I guess right. I mean how progressive and inclusive you want to be and that, and, go, and that doesn't just go for, like, you know, for, for for people in the black community. That goes for people in, you know, like, our, in, in our community, right? Oh, yeah. Like, what, what's, like, there's, right now, the biggest arguments that are going on in our community are over the, over terms like Latinx, right? Yeah. Because it's one of those things where our... Which when you're just when you're described well when you're described as Latino like the implication in Spanish specifically is that every word is masculine or feminine right yeah we're a very gendered language <laughs> in Spanish <laughs> which doesn't work to people who don't who are on different sides of the gender spectrum right? yeah if you're if you're gender nonconforming if you're two spirit if you're gender fluid like it makes it difficult because Spanish kind of has a way of isolating that community. Um, and, yeah, like, unfortunately, like, it really brings out some ugliness in our own community right now that we're not able to understand each other's perspectives and understand yep. each other's problems, um, very much as we see in this movie. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention about, um, about Mookie's sister, I forget her name, um, but I thought she was just, I thought, I really liked her, and I really liked that scene where, uh, Sal's trying to hit on her. And you feel very creeped out because he does the whole old Italian, hey, honey, sweetheart, come here. Come here, let me buy you a pie. What do you want? <laughs> and then, like, you know, does that hella creepy old man thing where they they take, like, extra attention on the woman, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, they bring up a really interesting point. And Mookie talks about it. How Sal Jade. is... Jade, there we go. How Sal is just kind of looking at Jade as another conquest. And... Then I think they even talk about like the sexualization of black women. Yes. And again, this is a family that has shown on several occasions that even though they may not be directly right, well, Sal may not be an explicit racist, you can tell he's not a huge fan of black people. The problem with Sal is that he is one of those, and I think this goes for a lot of, uh, this goes for a lot of white people who have businesses or live around people in communities of color. I can already hear the unfollows coming. <laughs> it's okay. So it is. I will respect you as long as what you do 
doesn't interfere with my comfort level, mm-hmm. doesn't interfere with the world around me, right? Like, it's one of those things where it's like... You do... No, you can be black and proud. Just over there. Yeah, just don't do it in my shop. Yeah. Right? Like, that is that is very much how that works. And the moment that someone does something that puts you in a place of discomfort, that's when Sal is all too ready to pull out a baseball bat to beat Radio Rahim. Mm-hmm. Or he's already calling people the N-word, right? Yeah. And that is... And, and that is... Essentially the climax. Well, yeah. And that is the metaphor for just... I think in terms of, like, he is a character who's about as likable as he can be, but at the same time, like, I think because I have seen people like this and have known people like this, mm-hmm. I have less sympathy for him now than I maybe would have as a younger kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that you've lived a little bit more. And, right, exactly. Yeah, you've learned a little bit more about from other people's experiences, you know? Oh, man, so should we get to the most uncomfortably realistic scene in the entire film? Yeah. Or is there anything else you want to talk about? No, absolutely. Well, the one thing I did want to talk about, too, is... And, th- again, this is something I read after the fact. Talking... You know, going back to what you were saying, how uh, Tina isn't really in it. Rosie Perez's character is just kind of there. And even then, she's kind of like the berating Latina woman, which also is a stereotype in and of itself. And I remember reading that, um, that Spike Lee felt there was a lot of... Uh, you know, like, he caught a lot of flack because he was objectifying uh, women of color the way white men or white filmmakers would objectify uh, women, right? I agree with that. Um, yeah, and I do agree <laughs> with that, and I don't want to give him a pass. Especially, no. Especially after the scene where he's, like, rubbing ice all over her naked body. Which I later read that she was crying the whole scene and she yeah. didn't want like to, her face shown because of well, that. He's you know what the funny part about that is is Tupac calls him out on that. Of like, all the people, years late, like there is, I like I love that I was on Twitter and somebody happened to share mm-hmm. this clip where Tupac was specifically talking about Spike Lee objectifying women of color. In God, dude, I have such a weird love hate relationship with Tupac. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for <laughs> it's sure. so fucking weird. Like, there's some days where I'm like, yeah, dude, fucking Tupac was dope and he was such a good human, and then I was like, but wait, no, he wasn't. No, <laughs> he did some shit, and you know, like. I don't want to. I don't want to give. Uh, I don't want to give Spike Lee a pass. No. no. But what this does highlight is the importance of having, in my opinion, this highlights the importance of supporting women in the arts, to be able to write stories, to have characters, because otherwise you're going to keep even having... more important. Supporting women of color, to be directing movies about women of color, right? Like, oh, yeah. you need to have someone who understands the experience to give you a great experience, right? Because otherwise you're just going to have the same representations of the same types of characters right. and keep perpetuating the same stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, especially now in 2019, you got, like, a lot more women breaking out, you know? Breaking out, being able to tell, tell their stories. Like, yeah, I want to see more women of color breaking out and telling their stories. You know? And we're starting to see that. Oh, and we are really going to see it because us as uh, comic book fans, uh, the director... Was it for The Eternals? Yes. Are you talking about how Salma Hayek is going to be one of no, the No, Eternals? no, 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 not The Eternals. I'm talking about DC Comics specifically. Ava DuVernay, who did the film, I believe it was Selma, and then she's also done A Wrinkle in Time for Disney, and she is mm-hmm. one of the hot 
you know commodities important well no the directors like she's one of the directors of the moment she's doing new gods for dc oh shut the fuck up yeah. are you serious yeah like a movie yeah movie Oh, I mean, I would prefer right it as a miniseries, but still, that's pretty <laughs> fucking sick. Yeah, so it's just, again, it's like, it's the importance of just having more representation. Mm-hmm. And I think people, like for us, as people who are Hispanic, right? Like, I mean, the the representation or lack thereof of Hispanic people in this film is, you know, it's derivative, it's simple... But at the same time, you know... It's also not our story. It's also not the... Yeah, we're also not the focus. Like, I, w- I was thinking about that. Like, yeah. the thing about representation... And here's w- where the pitfall of representation. It's like, not everyone's going to be happy. Yeah. Because not everyone's story is going to be told. And it sounds kind of like a weird cop-out answer, but that's why I'm, my my answer to that is, go tell your own story. Well, the, you know, like... But it's the not, important like, thing... I hate saying that, though, because I sound like I'm copping out. No, know? no, no. But, but you can credit a film like this... For being something that opens up the doors for something else. Like oh, totally. That. Like, if, like not to get too far out of things, but if you watch, like, a television show, like, On My Block, which is the Netflix series. Yeah. I really love that show, because that show takes people who are Hispanic, it takes people who are black, it takes kids who grew up in these neighborhoods, but they're not gangbangers, mm-hmm. they're nerds, most of them. And it just kind of like tells our stories, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's just, again, the more representation you get, the more... The less broad some of these characterizations are going to get. Mm-hmm. So it's good to appreciate that something like this exists, but it's also n- important not to. I- I'm not going to get. Not let too, it be uh, the end. Yes, <laughs> like, I'm not going to get too hung up on the details of it because it is a 30 year old movie. Yep. At this I point, I mean, yeah, it, and it is, but but it's also a movie that I think should represent a generation of the. I guess we'll call it the movement, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, of course, the, the ending of this film where you get Radio Rahim and... so the, Okay, so pretty much the so, entire film, Bugging Out is trying to organize a black... Um, what's it called? Um, a boycott. Black boycott of Sal's. Thank you. I don't know why I was thinking strike, but I'm like, they don't work for me. <laughs> like, only Mookie works for him. But yeah, they have this black... He wants to organize a black boycott, and he gets... Like, nobody wants to listen to him. A bunch of people were like, no, like, we we, we don't want to do that. Like, you know, I grew up on... Like, one character's like, I grew up on Sal's Pizza. Like, why would I eat anything else? You know, there's that line about, it's, pizza's good for Black Panther, it's good for me. Like, they have all these things going on, and eventually... Well, that's and that is a contrast to modern times right now, mm-hmm. right? Because now, if we catch somebody who owns a business... Or is in a position of power, and we find them on video doing unsavory things or being racially discriminatory. That's when we say, "Hey, guess what? We're not getting what you're selling anymore." Mm-hmm. Now people are using the idea of boycotting products, boycotting services based on what the beliefs of those things are, mm-hmm. and that kind of, again, that is the er, this is the early representation of something that exists now. Yeah. And whereas in this movie, not a lot of people pay enough attention to it, mm-hmm. he gets one guy on his side. Which happened to be another guy that was cited by Sal, which is yeah. maybe over him. <laughs> exactly. So it took somebody else that got screwed over, got disrespected by Sal, an event, and then they also rec- they, they uh, recruit uh, Smiley, who is the oh god I gotta be very <laughs> competent on how I how I say this. He is the um, 
mentally uh, is it handicapped is that the word people use I, you could use I, I suppose you could use handicapped yeah but I mean, I mean I also it's don't just want to be ableist yeah I mean oh god being politically correct is hard no just I mean <laughs> just just, just put someone who is mentally challenged right it's somebody who has developmental yeah developmental yeah. challenges yeah. yeah and he oh god that was, that was like the a uh, hard two minutes but anyway like uh you know he's he's he goes around and he sells um pictures of um malcolm x and martin luther king that famous picture of them like shaking hands and smiling right and but he does his own personalized art on him right so he goes around selling those he gets harassed by i think it was Vito, right yeah Vito starts get, kicking him out from the front like mind you smiley's just chilling on the on the sidewalk Vito comes out total asshole kicks him out so he's the other guy that was slighted. So he's like, "Yeah, fuck Sal. Like, let's let's go fucking stick it to him." Yeah, it's really interesting because Sal, again, he likes to put up the guard of someone who is, you know, part of the neighborhood and cares about the neighborhood. He lets the mayor sweep up out front so that he, and he'll give him money to do it. You know, mm-hmm. he talks about how a lot of the kids in the neighborhood grew up eating, eating the food his pizza, yeah. and how it, he's very proud of it and stuff like that. Yeah. But he's also he's also got to be someone who's sitting there and t- t- Sal lives in a very simple world, right? And what he has to watch as well is the fact that he is sitting in a world where some of his ideas that maybe he's kind of suppressed to the background, mm-hmm. like he's still they, he, they, he's obviously racist. Right, but he there he doesn't like to put that on as his front. Mm-hmm. But he there's enough behaviors that he has to where he has now raised his kids to be racist. But <laughs> Angel, he has Mookie as like an employee, and he even goes as far to say as he sees him as a son. How could he be racist? <laughs> and that's another part of it, right? Like there's other parts of racism where it's not people saying things that are that are verbally insulting to you, but a lot of it is microaggressions, right? It's the way people approach you. It's the fact to where, and I know this, like if you've had conversations with someone who's... When you get bullied or sunned. Yeah, when you have conversations with someone who is white and they want to say something in a way to not offend you, they will touch your hand... Don't touch me, Or put their hand (laughs) on your shoulder or something. There's just this like feeling of, I can kind of calm you by touching you and it's just like you know and then like, they call you sport and smack you on the butt <laughs> and they say good Excuse job me? what what was the last part <laughs> but you know it's just again it, it's it's all these it's not very it's not one of those things that's simple to like for lack of a better term it's not very black and white mm-hmm. there's a lot of gray <laughs> i see yeah. what you did there <laughs> and it's uh, a racial movie <laughs> and yeah of course we get radio rahim who comes into the pizzeria he tries to get a couple slices, and Sal gets really angry at him and tells him to shut his music off. Mm-hmm. So again, you can be black all you want, just don't come and be black inside my store. Mm-hmm. In in this black neighborhood. Yep. Right? <laughs> that I love so much. <laughs> <laughs> There's the disconnect, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you Pretty know... Pretty much the cat... So, going into the final act of the movie, there is... Uh, the, the whole catalyst is the I want to say it was that group of friends Martin Lawrence's group yeah come in want to get one last slice mm-hmm. they want they order one last slice of pizza sounds like fine I'll make you the pizza it's cool because they're closing up it's like late at night and the whole thing is that Mookie wants to get paid and then Sal forces him to 
come you know work Reopen the entire it? shift. Yeah. Uh, because he doesn't want to pay him, then have him leave. He goes, I'm not going to leave, blah, blah, blah. Which Mookie does pretty much leave. Huh? He does. <laughs> every like, single time that he goes away. Every time he goes on delivery, each delivery is like fucking two hours long. But again, Sal's one of those guys where he should probably know how his employee is. But again, to him, Mookie is like, Mookie isn't someone that he'll treat like an equal. It's someone who you should be grateful that I give you work. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, uh, so yeah, they reopen the pizzeria to have this yeah, group just, of friends come in. They make them the food, and that's the moment that Bugging Out and Radio Rahim come in. And Smiley, don't don't do my boy Smiley. And like Smiley that. now, yeah, exactly. Smiley so, is now there. So they come rushing in, and Bugging Out comes in yelling, furious, talking about how he demands that pictures of black people are put up on the Wall of Fame. Meanwhile, the whole time Radio Raheem has his music playing the entire like as loud as possible, right? So they're yelling at each other. It escalates, and to the point where, being uh, you know, they call him. I guess somebody at some point calls him a guinea. So, Sal gets angry and call refers to them as the N word, mm-hmm. and then that's when like the crowd, like the group of friends, because at this point they were always against bugging out. Yeah. And, you know, they, uh, want, but as soon as that happens, they feel like they have a personal stake. They start getting involved, right? And then, so they start yelling at. Right. Because now Sal has shown who he really is by saying this, right? It was and that one, happens, in that, and there are tons of situations like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, but this I was, is the most overt, right. like, racist he's been the entire film. And then... You know, it finally escalates to the point that Sal pulls out his baseball bat, smashes the shit out of the boombox in front of Raheem, and it just starts a huge fight between, like, Raheem bugging out and the kids against Sal and his sons. Mm-hmm. And this fight gets super intense. Mookie's trying to break it up, but he's like he he gets lost in the shuffle. They start fighting their he's way. He's also someone who seems very conflicted the entire time. Because at a certain point, it's like he you know th- this guy who he may not necessarily like, but at least has some sort of respect for. But he's a very passive character. He because is. Even he's though very Sal passive. does things that he doesn't like. I.e. He's like, he's his, still my boss. Yeah. He still gives me money. I.e. his personality with his sister. Yeah. You know, that's where he just... His 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 solution to that is to have his sister... Stop, stop coming here. Yeah. Just stop going in there. You know what yeah. Sal looks at you? Stop going in there. Which, again, it's funny that he does that to her because that's kind of like... It's kind of like what we're talking about, right? Like, mm-hmm. when you feel like you have a certain authority over another group of people... It's easy for you to talk to them and tell them you how to You control yourself, things. don't confront them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it goes back to that whole idea. So, the, this whole time, like, you know, they start getting into it. There's a fight, you know, the fight spills out. And the entire neighborhood starts yelling, oh shit, there's a fight. Everyone starts coming around, they corral the fight, right? And... The mayor knows where this is going to go. Yeah. So the mayor really wants this to be diffused. And but, he- we get... The police officers. Yep. Meanwhile, Raheem is choking Sal. Cops get on on scene. They see this young black man choking out an older white man. So they break him up, start pulling people off of each other. And in a scene that's all too haunting and all too reminiscent of real life. Well, yeah. Because literally, R- Raheem is essentially choked to death. And not to mention... 
this is one of those things that looks brutal on film, but we've seen this in real life. Yep, Eric where Gar- it looks ten times worse. Eric Garner, Gardner got murdered in New York City by police officers, was choked, was screaming he couldn't breathe, and died on camera, right? Yeah. Like, we have seen this in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yet, we still have people around us every single day who want to tell us that police brutality is not real. Yeah. Right? Or people who like to act like police brutality is one of those things that only came about because of the Black Lives Matter movement in the early 2010s, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, when you watch something like this, you realize, no, these are generational issues that people are still dealing with, yeah. will continue to deal with, right? Because now, again, like, almost 20-some-odd years later, you get a movie like Fruitvale Station, which basically has the same thing. You see a black man who dies on camera. Mm-hmm. You know, now, every year, you get so many, like, black people who are murdered by police officers. There's bias in medicine. Mm-hmm. There's bias in home loans. There's bias in job opportunities. Like, these are things that are real. And part of the frustration, I think, with me, like, not some, not as someone who's watching this, but as someone who listens to those arguments against, like, anything that has to do with social justice. Like, I hate the fact that that is a negative word for a large subsect of our population. Yep. That SJWs is such a bad... Like, I always make the cuck SJW joke, and it's always a joke. Yeah. But part of me wants to stop doing that because of the fact that it, like... You know, it, it does it does make it okay to do that. Like, usually I'm poking fun at people that unironically use the word cuck in SJW. <laughs> but it's like, like, when did caring about people become such a bad thing? Right. You know? And it's like, there's always that mentality of being like, oh, well, it doesn't affect you, so you should shut up. And it's like, okay, fine. You want to wait till it happens to you? Do you want to wait till you're the one that's being fucking murdered? Right. Because by a guy in a uniform? Or do you want us to wait until you're the one that's being deported and detained unlawfully? Like, all right, cool. Well, yes. As someone who's growing up and read about the L.A. riots, my first thought was, why would you destroy a neighborhood that you lived in? Yep. Now, as someone who's an adult who is now living in the world that that this this movie was already in this world, yeah, I just wasn't old enough to see the world you around me for what it was, yeah, right? You weren't because I I felt the same way. I was <laughs> like, oh man, I get it now. <laughs> like I just chose not to see the world that way exactly. at that time, you know? Exactly because now you get the rioting, you get the looting, and you get the destruction. But whose shop is being destroyed? Mm-hmm. The white man who doesn't like the neighborhood that he's like that he's operating his business in. Yeah. That's, so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Or even like, or even now, corporate America. Like a lot of these corporate places. <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> Smash every Starbucks window. Says the uh, <laughs> not Javi. <laughs> but you know, like it's one of the. Oh my God! It's um. So yeah, so after uh, after Rahim is killed, the police immediately grab his body, t- throw him in the back of a squad car, drive off. Yeah. They arrest Buggin' Out. Buggin' Out's freaking out because he just lost his friend. And you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen. That's you don't the, know that's whether, the end of him in yeah, this movie. You, we'd have, there's no post-credit scene. There's no scrawl or you know sprawl at the end talking about what happens to Buggin' Out. He gets arrested, beat, and then like driven off. And then the community is just, like, the neighborhood is just essentially sitting there like, what the fuck? 
this happened again and it's going to keep happening. Yep. And they're getting mad and then people start blaming Sal. They they start accusing Sal. Um Mookie essentially saved Sal Yeah, because, because the just... mob immediately was was ready to go after Sal. Yeah. And Sal says something to the effect of do what you got to do. And then be like, it's not my fault, he's dead, blah, blah, blah. He made his decision, but you do what you gotta do. Which, again... Way to antagonize the crowd, you fucking jackass. (laughs) So then the mayor managed... So Mookie essentially sacrifices Sal's pizzeria to save Sal... Now the question, and it's the first moment where he goes from being a passive character he to takes an active a stand. character. Yeah, he finally takes a stand. He empties out the trash can in the famous throwing the trash can through the window scene, and immediately riles up the crowd. They go in and start smashing up the the, the pizza joint. Meanwhile, Sal screaming. The mayor manages to get him and his kids, you know, up on a stoop on one of the brownstones, so that way he doesn't get involved. And Sal at the moment doesn't know that the mayor and Mookie saved his life. Yeah. So they smash it, set it on fire. I think Smiley sets the, the, the pizzeria on fire. And as the pizzeria is burning, he takes his picture of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. And he pastes it, it on, on the wall as it's burning. And then we get that, again, that all too uncomfortable scene of the fire department showing up trying to put out the fire. And then the riot police showing up and having the firefighters turn the water cannons on, or the water hoses on the on the black people. Yeah. Well, why? And then again, it goes back. It goes to a question of, well, why don't well, why don't people trust the police? It's very obvious why mm-hmm. people in communities of color don't trust police, and that's because I think, I, I in in some ways, a lot of the people who police cities like Richmond, Oakland, you know, the more you know, ethnically diverse areas of San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, the reason why those police officers are not looked at in the best light is because, in my opinion, they are Sal. Mm-hmm. They are people who work in neighborhoods that they don't like. Mm-hmm. They work around people that they that they pretend that they're, or, or that they feel that in their minds they probably think that they're doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's that same mentality, right? It's, I'm doing you a favor, Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it, it, like I don't understand why it's like, it, it's almost like they want praise for the fact that they're just treating these like, you know, it, again, it, there is so much social commentary in mm-hmm. every piece of this movie, Yeah, which is why, in my opinion, once we get to the very end of it and we get to our thoughts on it, I will let you know how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. So... The crowd destroys the pizzeria. When the police and the fire department leaves, they turn their sights on the next store, which is the Korean the, grocery the store. The Korean grocery store on the corner. And I think it's LM that comes to their aid, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Because yep. Sweet Dick Willie. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Dick Willie and I forgot the other character's name is they are ready to turn do the same thing they did to that supermarket that they do to yep. uh, to South Pizzeria because again it's another it's another store in this black neighborhood it's another invasive species in our biome yep. trying to corrupt the people that are already there and you know the, the, the store owner yells like we're just like you we're just like you 
And then, you know, I, I forgot who it was makes the point. They're like, no, shut the fuck up. You ain't like us. You don't have the same experience. Which is again, true. Again, a very, a, <laughs> yes, it again, was, I am so, that is a very poignant, like, yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that, again, not all people of color have the same experience. You know, our experience isn't the same as your API community. Your API isn't mm-hmm. the same uh, as your black community. Your black community isn't uh, the same as... Uh, uh, some other ethnic group who I can't think of because I haven't put that much thought into what I'm saying. But, you know, like, and it, it takes uh, ML, a member of that community, to be able to defuse the situation and have everyone finally go home. And, you know, Mookie just doesn't believe what happened. Like, he he's, like, in a state of disbelief. Sal's in a state of disbelief. Everyone essentially does, eventually makes their way home. And the next day, Mookie wants to get his money. Right. Because he still didn't get paid. Yep. He still didn't get paid. So he goes back down to the pizzeria. He finds Sal just kind of going through the ashes. And he confronts him about paying him his money. And then Sal talks about how, oh, you want your money? Don't you see? I lost everything. And the best point Mookie can make, why don't you pay me? You know insurance is going to get you on this anyway. And I was like, "Damn, yeah! Well, all you did, all you <laughs> did was lose your shop. The other guy who you got into an altercation with has lost his life and no longer exists on this earth, right?" Yep. And uh, I, when I first saw this movie, I hated this ending mm-hmm. because I felt like it. I, in my opinion, I felt like it put too uh, too nice a bow on the entire situation, mm-hmm. and. Now, okay, so two weeks ago, we watched 500 Days of Summer, right? Yeah. When we watched that, we went through the idea where we were like, well, what we discovered is that this isn't a love story. This is a coming-of-age story. Yeah. This movie isn't just a movie about race. It's a coming-of-age story. Yeah. The main character, despite the fact that he's not very charismatic compared to the other people on screen, and he seems highly passive in a lot of these situations, it is his coming-of-age like, the next morning he wakes up in bed with his child and his child's mother, right? Who he had not been living with, mind you. Yes. The movie goes to great lengths to explain that Mookie does not live in the same home as Tina. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why Tina's mom hates him. Mm-hmm. And also there's constant references that Mookie does never pay attention to his son Hector. Yes. And he even shows a little bit, not a disdain, but kind of some disdain towards his son. <laughs> because his like, son's name is Hector. Yeah, he goes, yeah, his name's going to be Hector, which really sucks because we have a friend named Hector. <laughs> Love you, Hector. <laughs> um, and it's just, yeah, so it's like now, it, 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 this movie is telling you in film grammar that he is a different person than he was in the beginning of this film. He finally decided to take a stand when that night he threw the, the trash can through the, through the window. Yeah. Very next morning, Tina calls him out and says, you're not going to fucking come back, blah, blah, blah. Starts, like, you know, berating him, right? And he keeps telling her, chill, like, I'm going to be back. I'm just going to get this money. And then she kept saying, oh, yeah, fine, leave. You're never going to come back. You're never going to see your son. And he essentially, like, tells her, okay, she doesn't want to believe me, fine. And he leaves. At least that's the way I chose to to read into it. And then he goes and he confronts Sal, and they have that... that dialogue, right? Talking about everything both of them lost and everything both the communities lost. And finally getting his money back. And I, love, I love this scene where Sal takes the money and he's like, oh yeah, what do you want? Is this what you want? And starts throwing the crumpled up hundreds at him. And he goes, $500, there you go. 
And then he, so Mookie picks it back up, and then he go, he just throws two hundred back at him, still crumpled up. And then he goes, "Dude, you owe me two fifty. Yeah. I owe you fifty dollars." <laughs> but you know, it's like again, it's it's about the principle. It's the principle of him being paid two hundred fifty dollars every week, which is what he agreed on with Sal. Yeah. So he he doesn't take more than he needs to, which eventually I think he does take the money back. Yes. And then. You know, Sal even asked him, what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get this money. And he ends up walking away from Sal. And DJ Love sees him through the window because his... Okay, I'm really confused where exactly the studio is in relation to the neighborhood. Again. Because it feels like it's everywhere. Yeah, again, this is a play. Yeah, like it is a like none of none of the none of this because it, they make reference to the fact that Tina may not even live in the same neighborhood as he does, like her her place is a distance away, right? So, but because of just the way it's shot, everything is feels close. all together. Yeah. So it feel that's why it feels like a play, right? And plus the fact that he can walk anywhere, like yes. when he's delivering the pizzas, is all within walking distance. <laughs> so I just assume she lived in Bed Stuy too, but you know, like it ends with. Uh, Samuel Jackson's character, DJ Love, like dedicating a song to him. And, well, dedicating, you know, giving him a shout out on air and, and then, then dedicating, dedicating a song to, to Radio Rahim. Radio Rahim. Yeah. Um, and then it just fades to black and it cuts to two poignant quotes from one from Martin Luther King and one from Malcolm X talking about essentially the relationship between violence and civil unrest mm-hmm. and two different opinions on where Martin Luther King has that, um, you know, peaceful demonstration. I think we need to be careful, because I think Martin Luther King, especially in modern times, is, in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood Mm -hmm. uh, figures in, in, you know, modern history, because I feel like a lot of his... A lot of what he stood for has now been sanitized and whitewashed, in these last few decades, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King, despite the fact that yes, he was for equality, he was for overcoming racial injustice, he was for you know kind of having everyone come together at the table and and finding a way to work things out. He is also very famous for saying that one of the worst things that that you know one of the things that harms the movement more than anything is not the Ku Klux Klanner or the open racist, but it's the person who just kind of sits on the fence. And he specifically, in his letter from a Birmingham jail, he mm-hmm. says that the that you know that the white man that's most dangerous is the one that's that's okay with a you know with kind of like a peace filled with tension, which is where God, I wish I had the actual line because this is a fantastic line. And, is it the uh, one about the effect of the indifferent? Fear not the uh, right. uh, something of evil men, the acts of evil men, but the indifference of good men, or something yes. to that extent. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, and you know that's kind of the that was kind of the point about that um, Malcolm X quote. I'm sorry, uh, Martin Luther King's quote. Um, meanwhile, with Malcolm X's quote, it's not talking about actively seeking violence and using violence as means to an end Mm -hmm. but that also the importance of self-defense and defending your own communities right 
Um, and finally, the, the, the film ends with, if I remember correctly, you might be able to correct me because you're more the historical person. You're the smart guy of the, <laughs> of the podcast. It essentially ends with, like, the names of people that I understood died as a result of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, terrible police brutality. Yeah. And uh, died at the hands of bad officers, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So... I think now all we gotta ask is, uh, do we, like, do the right thing? Oof. I like the film. I like the story. I think I'm just not a huge Spike Lee fan. I don't know. He does a lot of things, like, directorially directorially, that I feel very weird about. Like, the soliloquies are weird. Like, it feels like... Great, like we said, great if it's a stage play. Feels weird. Takes me out of it as a movie. I love the aesthetic. I love the style. I very, you know, captures the zeitgeist. <laughs> Super captures the zeitgeist, I think. Not just at 1989, but 2019 as well. Um, I love the themes. I love the overall story. Um, I don't know. Like, Spike Lee is super weird. He's one of those directors that's very hit or miss with me. Um, but I really like this film. I love the story. And, you know, it's very poignant. And, it, you know, it made me feel uncomfortable, but in a good way. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say I like this movie. Uh, I would also say that I like this movie a lot. Um, I probably say that I like it even more now than the first time that I saw it, which... I'm surprised that that happened. I thought I liked it pretty much the first time I saw it, but I think I like it even more now because now I'm able to see not just the themes of police brutality in a whole different way than I did when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. but also, like, the theme, the fact that they talk about climate change, which is super big, right? Like They talk about gentrification. They talk about, like... like, Yeah, it's like all these other things to where I almost feel like I'm Spike Lee's character in this movie because at one point in my life I was not aware of any of these things and then later on in my life when I had more experience and I lived what the experience is like of being someone who was not white in this country Mm -hmm. you start to get an understanding for why the world is the way it is. It's really interesting because for all intents and purposes this movie wasn't written for us. It's not our story. Which is why it's a very tricky tightrope to walk for us to do a review like this, right? Yep. Yeah, and then it's like, but at the same time, I do find myself, I do find myself at points in my life where I'm like, I do relate to Mookie. Yeah. There was a long time in my life where I'm like, well, if it ain't happening to me, I don't give a fuck. You know, and it's like, I've learned since then that that's not the right attitude to have. Yeah. Because, you know, we're all our people and we all deserve some sort of uh fuck we deserve someone to give a fuck simple as that well yeah also because now you're at a point where where my job is to give a fuck you know like yeah well well part of it is okay for the longest time one of the biggest issues in the black community has been incarceration right just mass incarceration which is something that I didn't really know that I could relate to very well. Like, I mean, I've had friends that have gone to jail and spent time behind bars and relatives mm-hmm. and all that stuff, right? But it's just, I don't know, it just didn't feel close enough. But now that we're seeing in the news or that we've been seeing even since the Obama years, right? Like, the fact that people are getting, that people that we grew up around are getting deported. Mm-hmm. People get, you know... Detained without due process and all these crazy situations. 
And it's like it does open your eyes because even though maybe we feel it's just happening to us now, this shit has been happening to people for years and years. We just couldn't see it at the time. But I think know? one of the wonderful generational things that is now starting to happen is that now we get a lot of people who are who are political activists in the black community who are now advocating for brown people who are being you know kept in detention camps yeah the latin community there's a good subsection of it that is starting to get more involved with issues of police brutality in terms mm-hmm. of just politics right like i mean like it, the nice part about this i think we kind of are getting to a point where people are just starting to get fed up mm-hmm. so the movement is becoming bigger and even though this movie isn't specifically speaking to us, I think it's why we feel more, why we relate to it a lot more than we would have 10 to 12 years oh, ago. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I so. think I saw this movie at the right time. So like, I don't think I could have appreciated it as a younger age. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to keep cutting you off. So, uh, yeah, we'd like to thank everybody for uh, joining us for this episode. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a different review, much like the 500 Days of Summer one. But, again, I like that we're kind of spacing these Star Wars reviews out yeah. with movies that are with that are different. It's a much different conversation. So we'll be back to your, you know, very lighthearted film reviews later. We're literally going to be talking about Ewoks next week. <laughs> oh, my fucking god <laughs> it's almost i think i made the joke to Javier that we're probably gonna have to follow up like return of the jedi with schindler's list or something <laughs> and come back that first week of december where after schindler's list and after the force awakens <laughs> we watch american history <laughs> oh god no <laughs> uh no but uh on a more serious note uh yes next week we are going to uh, return of the jedi and as we mentioned in our last episode um after Return of the Jedi, we will be doing uh, American History <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the month of October. We will be doing horror movies all month, uh, and our Star Wars series is going to take a break. We're going to do Force Awakens in November. Uh, the Last Jedi is going to be the first week of December, yeah. and the Rise of Skywalker will be at the end of December. And we January. have something else planned for you guys, very special. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not American History X. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, but it rhymes with the Schmar Wars Christmas special. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Please interact with us on our social media or our IG page. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. And uh, continue to join us for new conversations every week. Uh, we just like to thank our regular audience for keeping the show going. And, uh, yeah, I can't believe it. We are almost in September. We started this the first week of January. Fuck. And, uh, yeah, we're still going. So yeah, This is the longest project I took on, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your host, the Lorax. <laughs> <laughs> ah shit, we're gonna get sued. <laughs> anyway, I'm Javi. Later turns. <laughs>